The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber, but made possible through a phenomenal partnership with Dolphin Image Studios. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Nate. Hey, Nate, tell our listeners a little bit about Dolphin Image Studios. All right. Dolphin Image Studios is a uh, full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, psych wall, LED wall, and a podcast studio. If you want to find us, just go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826 so he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. In today's episode, we have the privilege to speak to a man who helped form the Winter Haven we know today. He was Winter Haven's first Black city commissioner and mayor, and today joins us to help us archive his story for many generations to come. I also have a very special co-host for today's episode, Mr. Rick Danzler, former state legislator. Rick's dad, Dick Danzler, worked very closely with Mr. Gathers through the civil rights movement and the acquisition of the land to ensure that Polk State College's campus was here right in Winter Haven. There was so much to cover with Mr. Gathers, we are breaking this episode into a part one and a part two. Today during part one, you will hear about his time in Winter Haven. He was born in 1925 and what it was like growing up in this community. I think you'll find it incredibly special and informative. It is such an honor and pleasure to have Lemuel Gathers and Rick Danzler here on the show today. Um, We have the honor of hearing a lot about Winter Haven's history, but also the work that Mr. Gathers has done in our community to make it what it is today. And so thank you both for being on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you, Katie. It's a real pleasure for me to be here as well. I've either known Lim Gathers or known of Lim Gathers my entire life. And he's someone who's been important to me personally, as well as professionally. So this is a real treat for me too. Uh, welcome, Lim. It's my understanding you were born in Winter Haven. Is that correct? Oh, yes. I was born in Winter Haven way back in 1924. 
And where were you raised? I was raised right here in Winter Haven, the southwest section called Pewsville, which was at that time one of the black neighborhoods in the community. Pewsville seems to have a tremendous amount of community pride. Those people who are from Pewsville are proud of it. They still seem to get together or try to once a year. Uh, was that your experience growing up? Oh, yes, that was the experience. But it seems that way, but we also had the other community, Florenceville, because that's where we went to school, sometimes to church, any kind of activity coming to town. Uh, for our community was over in Florenceville. After fifth grade, uh, you left Pewsville and went to Florenceville for uh, fifth through eighth or whatever it was at that time uh, at the Polk County Training School, which was later changed to Jewett High School. So we, we were pretty well close together. It was just that as a community, Pewsville was kind of forced to be unique by having its own grocery store, we had a pressing club, and just about everything you could think of, we were pretty independent as a community. We even had a lady that was a, a midwife who took care of everybody's child that was not taken care of. I don't know whether we had uh, welfare at the time or not, but you better believe every time every child that was born in that neighborhood had somewhere to stay because if the parents didn't take care of them, you better believe a lady named Miss Hattie Hobbs uh, Hattie, <laughs> got him. Yeah. Hatt, Hattie Hobbs. Hattie was, Hobbs. Okay. Where and, was she from? Pewsville as she well. Was, she was in Pewsville. She lived right there on Third Street now, right where AutoZone is, right in that area. I'll be darned. Yeah. Now you went to school in Florenceville, of course, because the schools in Winter Haven were segregated. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. We went to Florenceville after fifth grade, and of course. Uh, in the little school in Pewsville, uh, you'll see a picture from the school board of a single-story building. But the school really was a two-story building, and we were upstairs. Downstairs was first and second grade, upstairs third, fourth, and fifth grades. And it was miraculous. But one teacher named Mrs. Marie Librand, and she taught school and lived long enough to the extent that as I went to military service, went to college, came back to teach school, she was still teaching. That's darn. amazing. Where was the school located in Pewsville? Oh, it was located uh, right on 3rd Street South, right behind what used to be uh, Zion Hill Baptist Church, mm. right, right in the neighborhood of the uh, uh, auto repair place, just a block from... Avenue R and Third Street. So Ms. Librand taught all grades. That's right. She taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. Okay. And we had three rows, one for third, one for fourth, <laughs> one for fifth, one teacher. And, of course, she taught uh, third grade math. And if you're fourth grade, you have to stay quiet and get your assignment. After a few minutes of third grade math, you had to get your assignment and work. Then she went to fourth grade. And then after that, she went on to the fifth grade. Well, if you were a smart kid, if you knew all your third grade stuff, you could learn the fourth grade stuff while you're sitting there. Because, <laughs> boy, you sure couldn't make no noise. Uh, there was no such thing as a disturbance. Because at that time, 
teachers had the little paddle. If you didn't have your assignment for the day, <laughs> you got a little stretch across the hand, mm-hmm. something you'll remember. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, it was quite unique. And the lady was a, a miracle because if anything came to town as some kind of display, she had it there. At this school, all spread it out, all of the fossils and stuff from around the world. Because people used to visit here, and they'd be at the Haven Hotel. Some kind of way, all of these educational tours, uh, she was in contact with them. Hmm. Uh, she was miraculous. and I see. It's just a miracle. By the way, uh, the students from Lucerne Park and all came to the little school in Pewsville. Yeah. So... Middle school was in Florence Villa. Yes. And was high school there as well? Yeah. Well, by the time I got to school, it was there. But when my older brothers and sisters were in school, it didn't go any farther than eighth grade. Okay. Uh, uh, I am so was so interested in education because my family had kids away from home for 37 years before the last one finished college, which was me. <laughs> <laughs> How many brothers and sisters do you have? Well, well, I had uh, I had two brothers and one sister, and that older brother, uh, Elma, who was in the military uh, in World War II, he went as far as eighth grade in uh, at Polk County Training School, but had to drive to Lakeland in a Fraser cab for four years. To finish high school, and Oops. at that time, Roche, it was called, it was Rochelle, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and it was very good school with, you know, chemistry, physics, and all of that kind of stuff, something that was not offered at the school in uh, Jewett during those years. And you said he took a, a cab to school yeah, every uh, single day? Yeah, there was a Frazier family that had a cab company, and a guy named Charlie Frazier was in that same class, and there were five kids that uh, that went to Lakeland back and forth every day. They paid a little fee, but that's what it was. We all knew the Fraser family. Yeah, that you was a went. real institution in Winter Haven. Fraser that, Cabs. That's right, because they the Frasers were just honorable people. Because even when it came to uh, elections and stuff, they hauled people to the polls are free mm-hmm. if we didn't have any funds to help mm-hmm. them, you know. And Robert Frazier went on to be a distinguished Winter Haven police officer. Oh, yeah, that's right, Robert. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of the the youngest Frazier in this original family was a band director at Denison High School. Hmm. Yeah. So did a lot of students just not, did they just stop at eighth grade? Is well, that- a lot of su- students just stopped at eighth grade because they couldn't go any farther. Mm-hmm. It was only those people who could send somebody away to for room and board. That's why education became such an issue for us. Because mm-hmm. at the meantime, my older brothers and sisters, they walked from the Pusel section of town to Pocahontas Training School uh, on First Street North mm-hmm. in Winter Haven every day. And of course, every day. you were walking right by Winter Haven High School. <laughs> To get to school. You and your family ever talk about how illogical that was? Oh, well, we talked about it. It was not much of a conversation because it was the reality of the time. You lived with it. And, of course, you had these questions all the time. 
but you knew what the facts are were by by the way and the pattern that everybody lived. It, it's kind of weird when you think about it, how you had to I call it tiptoe through the tulips, because mm. you knew where you could go, where you could not go, and just making a mistake could be kind of bad for you, because the people that got in trouble, sometimes you never saw them anymore. I know of one or two incidents of where people probably got into trouble, but you never saw them anymore. That was the reality of that time. Do you think, are you suggesting they were perhaps murdered or lynched? Well, uh, I, I would suggest in one case, I knew of a guy that we thought might be murdered or lynched, but he was in some trouble with some kids somewhere down near the railroad station or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was arrested, put in jail, sent straight to uh, prison. And after 20-some years in prison, when he was released, he couldn't come back to Winter Haven, but he had to move to uh, uh, Connecticut, mm. something like that. And, and that's the way it used to be, you know, the, you know, not all this drawn-out court session. It wasn't no court. They just picked him up, the sheriff, and the jail, not this long, drawn-out stuff. The next thing you hear about them, they were in Rayford, and then you might hear that they got out of jail and where they were, you know, just because of family mm-hmm. contacts with those other families. Mm-hmm. While, while we're discussing, discussing matters of segregation, you went to the service after high school. Did you see segregation in the service as well? Well, I, 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 I saw it all the time. In fact, we were segregated when we went into the Navy uh, even though the base had uh, all races there uh, together, uh, but there were different uh, places for the different races. It's kind of weird. There were some uh, people who had the choice to go to the white section or to the black section, and um, uh, some Indian tribes, they could go either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some people classified as white or black. They could go to the black Navy or to the white Navy. <laughs> they had some weird combinations of things that you could do. Were the, were the responsibilities or duties in the service portioned out based on race? Well, I, I would say because we were segregated, but you had the opportunity after a certain period in time, to do some new things. Before I went into the Navy, you could only go to uh, cook or baker school or some kind of ordinate school to be in the Navy. But Mrs. Roosevelt and Mrs. Bethune got together and got with the president, and they made the decision that for this war that was coming up, that maybe blacks ought to have opportunities other than those restricted things. And uh, that really worked. It worked so well until Mrs. Bethune's bus is in the, you know, the tundra of the Capitol in Washington. But she and Mrs. Roosevelt paved the way because they talked to the president, and he, by presidential order, ordered that blacks could do something other than be cooks and bakers. Mm. I had some friends who were very smart kids who were in the Army, but building the Alaska Highway 
blacks were not permitted to use anything but uh, picks and shovels because some intelligence has reported that, you know, because of them accepting slavery and all this kind of stuff, their brains were not developed or something like that. Mm. That was later revised, but it was that way because the people in early psychology had been taught that by the professor who wrote the first book. Now, that was later changed by a, a professor from Howard University whose family lived right there in Florence Villa, uh, the Malsbys, who had that theory changed. He wrote a research on the teaching of early psychology, and in somewhere in the late 40s or early 50s, they changed that that proved everybody's brain was the same and stuff like that. But prior to that, you couldn't drive a tractor trailer or truck or tank or anything in the Army. When you arrived for the interview, you were wearing a World War II veteran's hat. First, yeah. thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. But um, regarding your time in the service, one thing I've heard is that Winter Haven was actually the site of a German prisoner of war camp. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, yes. Um, early 1944, I came home on leave, and I noticed the German prisoner of war camp just north of City Hall on 3rd Street. It's, I've heard that there was the Citrus Showcase building where they were, but these were really tents, big white tents, and they wore white uniforms all over the city of Winter Haven. I saw them going to movies. I saw them at McCrory's on 3rd and Central. They were everywhere, but they also had jobs where they worked in the citrus plants and other places around town. So you saw them in places where you, as a veteran, were not allowed to go because you were black. That's right, and that that was kind of irritating, and it was more irritating because I had been on a detail uh, looking for German saboteurs that had maybe gotten off submarines. Every time we got those signals that the submarines were in the Atlantic or on the Gulf, and of course we were on the Gulf, we had to do uh, uh, beach duty, and that meant going up under the ramps. And if one was there, he'd have got you first. <laughs> you had to crawl under. Oh and I, even though I was an electrician working with electrical tools, when those things happened, you got your long rifle. They were issued, you know. So, Lem, you mentioned that a lot of the roles were cooks and bakers and various things like that. How did you end up being an electrician? Well, uh, I wasn't that smart, but when I got to Illinois, uh, in a camp Moffitt at Great Lakes, Illinois, uh, you took some kind of test, but it was an aptitude test. Not that I was that smart or had had the coursework in physics and all that kind of stuff, uh, trigonometry. It indicated that you had the ability to learn. Some kind of way, I was picked, and I ended up with some guys like from New York University, a guy named Vincent Tibbs, who spoke five languages, Russian, Chinese, uh, Latin, and uh, I don't remember, but if he had been any other race, he would have been immediately put into intelligence and given a officer's, you know, Mm-hmm. position to star because mm-hmm. he, he would have been just right for intelligence 
His name was Vincent Tibbs. And the last time I saw him after the war, he had become the uh, head of the housing authority in, in Miami-Dade County, Florida. There were several other guys who had had all kind of college experiences and stuff. But then I was enlisted in this program, and we took courses from different universities in the area when we at Great Lakes, Illinois, but we were shipped to Hampton Institute in Virginia where we did a thorough study into our basic trade, which was electricity and some other subjects. But um, it was so strict. You had an exam every week on Friday. If you didn't pass the five courses, the next day you were OGU, uh, going unit. That meant that you didn't make it. I came out fifth in the class, and I was in there with guys who had had all kind of coursework. And particularly for me, it took me longer to work some of the programs uh, that you had to solve uh, with my math through logical deduction, which they just solved with some trigonometric function mm-hmm. or some function of calculus or something like that. <laughs> That's why education became such an important item to me because it's always been an issue in my family mm-hmm. forever, always. And it stuck, and it stuck till I got back to one Ava. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber and investor businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Advent Health. Advent Health is a local leader in healthcare and is committed to providing care while extending the healing ministry of Christ. With the national focus on COVID-19, Advent Health would like to remind our listeners if they have questions about the coronavirus, they can speak to Advent Health experts by calling the hotline at 877-VIRUS-HQ. That's 877-847-8747. If you believe you've been exposed to COVID-19 or have specific symptoms of fever, cough, shortness of breath, or trouble breathing, please contact your primary care provider or go to the nearest Advent Health Center Care located in Winter Haven at 7375 Cypress Gardens Boulevard. Again, if you have questions regarding COVID-19, please call the hotline at 877-VIRUS-HQ. Advent Health is here to provide the answers that you need. When when and where did you meet Juanita, your wife? Uh, I met Juanita, she was she lived right here in Winter Haven. Uh, she had been a student uh, at Jude High School where I taught, and I didn't see her, but after she went to college, uh, she invited me to something. I never noticed her before, but I said, boy, boy, look at that, you know. <laughs> and uh, that changed my mind, you know, because when I had seen her, you know, you know how girls go with the socks and stuff, and I saw her with her hair down and all that kind of stuff, and it, I had Known her family very well, and she was always talking about children and families and stuff, the same thing that I was interested in. And I had heard her say one time she wanted five children. And, boy, that's what I wanted because all of my friends were married and 
had families, and I was about the only one in the group mm. that was single. <laughs> so we were just on the same wavelength. And <laughs> well, I, that's basically all I had, Katie. Do you have anything else you'd like to I, ask? I just want to thank you so much for sharing so many stories with us today. Um, it is, for like I said, for someone like myself that was born in the 80s and learned about a lot of what you lived through through reading it, in history books or seeing it in movies. And it was always um, hard for me as a, a child. I couldn't understand. I it was My parents said I went through this weird phase for a couple of years where all I did was read about the, the civil rights movement and the Holocaust and things of that nature because I couldn't believe human beings could treat other human beings that way. And to have met you today and hear your stories and how you lived through it, but yet still were so willing to build relationships and to compromise and to know that the power of we would actually get things done to make things better for everyone. Um, I just can't thank you enough for coming on today and listening to your stories has profoundly affected me as well today. So thank you so much, Lem, for coming in. Well, this has been a real treat for me, Lem. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to say, uh, this would be an opportunity if you haven't already wrapped up. Well, well if, I'd, I'd just like to say one thing. I appreciate my family and uh, my upbringing. And uh, my grandfather came here uh, in the 1880s, and he was a sophisticated old man. When there wasn't but seven telephones in Winter Haven, he had one of them. We used to have a great big house down on the same lot where we live right now. And uh, he used to rent rooms and had this big uh, horse and wagon that he used to ride around in and he got back because people thought he was driving the wagon for somebody else and that was my grandfather and the subdivision where i live right now is named after him jenkins and Hobbs subdivision my my family was just tremendous and we didn't get electric lights until 1939 and we got city water somewhere back there in the 20s but other than that it was pumping the water and stuff like that. I had an unfortunate thing that happened. My dad was killed in 1939 when I was just in ninth grade, and that ended all my childhood activities. Mm -hmm. I went to work because there was no Social Security or anything like that. And my wife, my mom was severely injured and couldn't walk for a year, and my family came together, and I ended up just getting all kind of jobs and just... I was just treated wonderfully in one even and, and I had jobs all over town because I worked for people and got through and go to the next job mm -hmm. right in one even because people understood my problem. And there are some mighty good people. And I, I just really did, never did understand it because <clears throat> I can remember people uh, deliver, like we bought groceries from Sykes Groceries down there on 5th Street and... Uh, the guy, Mr. Jones, used to come, and he would always come in and eat biscuits and stuff with my mom and all kind of stuff. And then there's another guy in the area. She's a black lady, and uh, 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 he was an electrician. We were close friends, and my mom would be fussing at him about something he'd done wrong <laughs> to his wife. And it was a crazy thing. But I was an awful kid. Because I used to ask my mom, because we went to church all the time. And, uh, and, and you know, God this and God that. And we uh, 
went all day Sunday, and um, I was awful about religion. I said, Mama, what kind of God is that for let people treat other people like that? You know, it was awful, you know, for me to do that to her. You know, I didn't think about it. <laughs> but those are kind of stupid questions I used to ask, you know. And um, But well, we, we got through you, it. With everything you've seen, that, that would be a reasonable question. Yes. Well, uh, you and Juanita and your family have been giants in the Winter Haven community. Thank you very much for your longtime service to our city and our county and even our country uh, as a veteran and your work in a congressional office and so many other places. Um, on behalf of all of us, thank you very much for everything you've done. Okay. Thank you. All right. This podcast would not be possible without our chamber investor businesses stepping up to support us we'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors meeks real estate winter haven was rated by realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market do you need help navigating your home search meeks real estate llc is owned and operated by broker realtor carla meeks carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate as well as her gri designation her office is located at 1510 north broadway avenue in bartow but carla is actively involved in all of polk county Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit CarlaMeeksRealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S Realtor.com. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We would like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Mr. Lem Gethers and my co-host, Rick Danzler. Be sure to tune in next week when we air part two of Mr. Gethers' interview. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber of Commerce, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hoped you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, no true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home.